Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend, a podcast for long distance besties everywhere. I'm Ann Friedman. And I'm Amina Tuso. Every other week, we'll be bringing you a special phone a friend episode between either Amina or me and one of our rad pals. Who are you talking to this week, Ann? Uh, I talked to friend of the podcast, Katie Blair, who is a pal oh of mine. Oh my god. I know. Who is a force of nature, who is a mortal woman, but like manages to be so much more. She is a lifelong grassroots activist. She has a master's public health. Um, she's worked in reproductive health and politics, but also for the ACLU and has done a ton of democratic political organizing almost exclusively in the Midwest. She's based in Indiana right now. So I cannot wait for you to hear our conversation about her doing what she does in the place where she does it. I imagine Katie talking to you wearing uh, like some sort of animal print caftan and drinking a wine spritzer. Oh my God, completely. Before we even got on the phone together, she sent me a link just to set like my mental image of all of the leggings that she'd ordered to wear to the DNC because she's a delegate. Um, of course, of course. Yeah, they were basically like several varieties of all over Hillary print leggings. Uh, I, this makes me so happy. I can't wait to hear it. Katie, thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to get to talk. Oh, okay. So for people who have not been privileged to be one of your besties for more than a decade, um, which is the case for us, it's very exciting. Maybe you can talk a little bit about your career and what you do, like not only for a living, but like because you are a passionate, important, wonderful woman. (laughs) Thank you. Yes. So... How I met you was through activism at the University of Missouri. Um, I was just thinking about this today, actually. Um, So I worked at the MU Women's Center, and I did that all through college. So that's kind of how I got my start uh, into feminism. And yeah, I met Ann Friedman. Do you remember we started a girl gang called the Cunts? I honestly do not remember that, but it sounds like it fits. It happened. Please remind me. (laughs) It was after the March for Women's Lives. So like, take yourself back to 2004. So I did that. And then I got my master's from the University of Missouri in public health and uh, took that right on to Planned Parenthood of Indiana. And now it's Planned Parenthood of Indiana and Kentucky. Uh, I started out really wanting to do sex ed until I realized I had to teach people like dudes how to put condoms on their junk and that really grossed me out so this <laughs> is right there for politics never mind uh, although you deal with enough dudes and their junks I guess in politics too um, but from Planned Parenthood I worked hard and for the first two years it was pretty I was a statewide organizer and then by my second year I were uh, one of the first Planned Parenthoods in the nation to be defunded Back in 2010, before it was, you know, really popular. So that's the first, you know, the Midwest isn't always the first in trends, but we were in 2010. 
and I did a good, a good enough job that I got to be the director of activism, which is like the coolest title I've ever had. And then I went on to do uh, an effort to get Democratic women to vote in 2012. I was the executive director of a organization called the 51% Club, which was, it was really cool. I got to go all around the state um, of Indiana and try to get women to the polls um, and, and all different walks of life here in Indiana. It was really fun. And that kind of gave me my first deep look into the Democratic Party and Democratic politics. I'm, I honestly, I work mostly with um, issue advocacy, which I'll talk about later. Um, but yeah, so then I now I'm the director of advocacy at the ACLU of Indiana. Uh, a lot of my work has been with our LGBT organization, Freedom Indiana. I was lucky enough to be the campaign manager of of Freedom Indiana when uh, Indiana's Religious Freedom Restoration Act dropped in my lap. Since then, I've been really, um, while doing ACLU's other numerous issues, I've also been doing advocacy, you know, mainly around LGBT rights. So yeah, that's that was really long description of what I do. Uh, well, and talk to me about, because like, obviously, you have chosen to live in states where people who care about the issues that you care about maybe don't always cluster. Like, I mean, not to say that there aren't awesome pro-choice people or people who are super into LGBT rights or whatever in, like, we know the Midwest is full of the raddest activists ever, but like by the numbers, you're in kind of a tough place. Yeah. Well, I think some of that stems from, and I, and I think we have this in common kind of growing up in really, um, I, I don't know. I grew up in a small town in Iliopolis, Illinois, population 950. Very fancy. But growing up in a place that was really conservative, it kind of made my radical values grow. I kind of like um, stirring shit and fighting <laughs> and winning. And so that's been kind of what's kind of formed what my career. I just, I get a lot of pleasure. I my best day is making an asshole's day like really bad. (laughs) (laughs) It's my favorite day. Uh, I mean, (laughs) yeah. And I think, so you and I like have definitely talked also about like the ways that people who live outside the Midwest or like outside maybe the South, like I'm talking about like my California dwelling (laughs) or like maybe like New York dwelling people who even when they're well-meaning, like maybe sometimes don't get why politics are the way they are in the rest of the country. And I'm wondering if you are like at this point in your career, super kind of like locally focused, like what's possible here without like comparing to what's happening elsewhere in the country. Or if you're just like, I don't know, I'm, I'm curious about how you feel in, in that sense. Like not that everything has to compare to what's happening on the coast, but I wonder if it even factors in for you. Not really. I mean, I'm thinking more of really whenever I do my work, I think more of red states or even purple states because there's just no comparison <laughs> to the to the coast, especially with um, my work around LGBT issues. There is no comparison. I really compare myself to other shitty states <laughs> and kind of work on that. It's, it's kind of interesting always working for national organizations who have hubs in on the coasts and I've been lucky enough to work with really great people but sometimes there is like a disconnect of uh, what's what's happening in Indiana you know like one woman was like why can't you find a gay farmer who wants to be on our website like, what 
Wow. I mean, <laughs> there, it's, it's great, but I mean, like, that's just, you know, that's a pretty tall ask in Indiana. Maybe this is just me thinking about like my Midwest family, which is sort of studiously apolitical, that like, even if there is a gay farmer, like the fact that he would want to sort of politicize himself or like throw himself into that like role seems to me like a harder sell for like some cultural reasons in the Midwest too. Absolutely. Part of my job doing the Freedom Indiana campaign has been traveling around the state and getting people with different stories, sometimes with different backgrounds, like the grandma of a transgender kid or transgender veterans or gay business owners. And it's always, you know, it's something that you are really delicate with because you know, once it happens, it's, you're never going back. I've dealt with people who have city councilors who've come out in support of human rights ordinances in their city who um, then their kid doesn't get to play soccer next week, uh, is benched the whole time because the soccer coach disagrees with his beliefs. Like that kind of stuff. In the same city, we had people have to get restraining orders on people just for coming out in support of a human rights ordinance. And, you know, that would cover sexual orientation, LGBT or gay folks. So it's, it's tough and it's, it's tough to ask someone to do that and to tell their story uh, so boldly, especially here where you can get fired for being gay, you can be denied housing, you can be denied employment. So doing that, you really are putting a target on your back in a lot of ways. Yeah. And, and do you like, do you feel like fundamentally the kind of the activist work that you do given the way the state legislature like leans so Republican. How do you do your work differently than maybe you would if you were like exclusively in a college town or in like one of those places that like where the politics aren't the same at all? (laughs) I was just in Bloomington, Indiana, which is like for you, the Columbia Uh uh, of Indiana. And I just like, I like breathed the air. It was so good. I had something with tofu in it. (laughs) It just was, I was with my people, but, um, So how I do things differently in Indiana is that we, you know, we have a super majority in the House and like a super duper majority in the Senate with only 10 Democrat senators. So we have to work across the aisle. You have, you just can't get around it. A little fact about me is that my fiance is actually a Republican. I met her working on an LGBT campaign. And so she's into political activism on the Republican side, and I'm the Democrat bleeding heart liberal. And so uh, it's kind of interesting how we both uh, grapple with getting stuff passed. We've been able to honestly help each other out a lot. And through my relationship, I've honestly, I've grown a lot as an activist and have learned that I have to go outside of my comfort zone and make friends with that, like, you know, slicked back hair lobbyist. I mean, like picture American Psycho. I've made friends with that. (laughs) (laughs) The Indiana version of American Psycho. Has there been a time when you've been like, boo, how do I deal with this Republican on this? Or like, like, has she helped you kind of formulate the way you speak to those people who maybe fundamentally disagree? Absolutely. Kind of the coolest thing about my relationship is that our mornings are me putting on some dramatic eyeliner in the bathroom, her standing out, taking care of our dogs and us talking about our day and what conversations we're going to be having during the day. And I'm talking to her about, you know, trying to get some LGBT activists 
engaged in, you know, some stuff that she's trying to do as a Republican. And she's talking to me as, you know, trying to get some Republicans to, I don't know, care about something. And so um, (laughs) we're able to kind of prep each other for the day and map things out. And I think that that's, that's my favorite part of our relationship. I go to a lot of, you know, events and I mean, just like dinner with all of her friends who are lovely people, but we do have disagreements a lot of the time. Um, But usually like, uh, yeah, a lot of times we're on the same point in my key issues. We just get to them in different ways. Hmm. Also like fireball. (laughs) Whiskey helps like smooth over a lot of disagreements, (laughs) I feel. (laughs) Um, Well, so like, what's an example of that where you're like, oh, like we both agree that this is the right thing to do or this is important, but like you come at it so differently. Okay. So like reproductive rights. We had a really, really shitty bill called HB 1337 pass. And we're about to get the ruling on that. Actually, ACLU filed a case, and I knock on wood, I think it's going to be deemed unconstitutional. It was a prohibition on abortion based on race, sex, and the a fetal anomaly. Like if it, if the baby was going to have any kind of disability, if it was going to come out and be alive for just one day, it would be prohib- wow. uh, there would be a prohibition on that. And then also you'd have to give it like a full, like, like a burial um, situation. So it's just completely crazy. So that bill happened. And of course I'm like stomping through the streets, ordering a thousand rally signs and organizing, you know, doing my community organizing kind of stuff, crafting messaging and just doing that work. While on her side, what people didn't notice is that when this bill was jammed through, four Republican women stood up, walked out, and left because they were so offended by the bill. And so what she's doing on her end is she's calling up those women and, you know, offering her support, thanking them. We're working together to make sure that those women are being thanked in the right way and that, you know, activists aren't, you know, calling out all Republicans that they're actually giving thanks to these women, these super brave ladies. Who opposed the bill, like, actively. Actively, yes. There were tears, there was stomping, and it was, they were awesome. They were so brave in the face of people that just jammed this thing through. They didn't, they didn't give a shit. So, um, So that was kind of a way that we tackled it. I was working on the boots on the ground and she was behind the scenes kind of ushering in, you know, the minority of Republicans that were supportive of reproductive rights. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because like listening to you talk about that, it's like, I understand intellectually that like not everyone who is a Republican is like a monster who disagrees with everything that I believe. You know what I mean? Like, I understand that. But there's also like we're living in a time that is I don't want to use dumb catchphrases, but like it is like really it does feel super divided. It's like you only see shit on Facebook that you already agree with. And like you talk to people who are all like shocked and appalled by the same stuff that you are shocked and appalled by. I think about you a lot as like someone who lives in a world where you probably have to confront difference a lot more than I do. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. And like, and so I'm curious if it feels the same way to you, you know, like where people are just like, we can't figure out where all these like Trump supporters are coming from. And they seem like this like other species. We are just like, where, what is even happening to the country? There's like this feeling of chaotic confusion 
among people who I think have never spoken to anyone who's ever like, yeah, yeah I don't know. I, I mean, that's not a question. I'm just talking at you. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, number one, my Facebook feed is perfectly curated. So I do still live in my bubble and <laughs> none of Megan's friends that I know of that have outed themselves to me are Donald Trump supporters. So I've got that going in my corner, just in my immediate life. I don't have to freak out there. People haven't really been that out and proud for Donald, at least around me. I mean, of course not. I, I work, I'm a big old liberal. But I do have to deal with, um, and just like the everyday things and the comments and, you know, like, I'm really, I'm really, really psyched about Hillary Clinton. And whenever I'm hanging out with my, my girlfriend's friends, you know, it's like eye roll. And, oh, I remember back in the 90s. and I hated her then. I hated her now. And, and so, you know, I, I have to engage in those conversations quite often. I'm going, this weekend, I'm going on a trip to Wisconsin to see two Dave Matthews uh, performances. Because my boo loves Dave Matthews and so do her Republican friends. This is the true root of like the weirdness of your relationship. It's not that one of you is a Democrat and one's a Republican. It's that one is a Dave Matthews band fan. <laughs> it's the worst. Um, so, and they're like, so I have to see two of them because Dave plays two nights in a row usually. And do you know who opens for Dave Matthews? Jack Dave, Johnson. No, Dave Matthews. <laughs> Dave Matthews opens for Dave Matthews. It is so It's like six hours long. If it were Jack Johnson, I would, I'd be happy. At least he has those early 2000 hits that were kind of okay. But this, I can't. Have you ever been seduced to, to crash into me? <laughs> <laughs> Thank God, no. Okay, good. Like, I was like, how bad is it? How bad is it? <laughs> Oh my God. True love that you're going to that. Like, oh, uh, I mean, I will really drink like several ounces of Limeritas. Yes. Several, several ounces. <laughs> uh, oh my God. So the other thing on my list that I totally want to talk about is just like what it means to be a Midwest diva. Oh girl. Yeah. I mean, I, I love being a Midwest diva. Um, currently, like, like I said, I love Hillary. I'm going to the Democratic National Convention. I was appointed at-large um, delegate alternate, whatever. Always a bridesmaid, <laughs> never a bride. <laughs> but I still get to go, and it's wonderful. It's a, very, it's a great honor. But I'm being nice, and I'll talk to you offline about it. Um, but so, like, bringing my Midwest diva-ness to the national stage, if you will, I've been doing a lot of work finding different leggings that have Hillary's face on them or any Elizabeth Warren and Hillary, um, but just really bring in the spandex to, to the democratic national convention. It's uh, true. I do feel that like clothing that stretches is a core Midwest diva value. So core. I'm in, I'm in it right now. <laughs> yeah. So just for people who are not you and me and not familiar Midwest Diva is the name of a song by a, a little known, but like should be wider known, Iowa born and bred artist named Leslie Hall, uh, who frequently tours slash toured under the name Leslie and the Lies, um, who for a while had her own brand of like leggings and other spandex items called Midwest Diva. Um, <laughs> and you got me a pair. I mean, you have to support the originator of this important concept. Like, <laughs> 
we knew what it meant, but she put a name to it. And I think there's just like something about owning your fabulousness in like the specific regional way. Like, you know, you kind of know what like a wealthy East Coast woman is like, and you know what like a Southern like woman is like, like the Midwest as a region has kind of been without gender specific pride in this, <laughs> you know, like for a while, like, I don't know, there's something that I kind of like about claiming it. I do too. I love, I just, so we're in the Midwest. I don't know if you remember, we're one of these people like growing up, I couldn't get any fabulous clothes here. I mean, there was just like no good stores. So I'd always like page through the Delia's catalog on the phone with my best friend fighting over who was going to get what, like sparkly scratch and sniff unicorn shirt or whatever. Um, So it's like, you know, kind of slim pickings and then just kind of getting really frosty with your lipstick and your eyeshadow and leaning in. I mean, I also feel that a stacked bob is like a real Midwest Diva hallmark. I I have like, I have a haircut right now that like in, like if I sleep on it a certain way slash style it a certain way, like could be read as a stacked bob and I'm trying to embrace (laughs) it. (laughs) I know there are so many wonderful fashions. Um, What wearing lots of mesh and wearing lots of attitude. Simultaneously. Uh, Always together. A heavy perfume. Mm. heavy um usually from about five years ago um or something like i'm right now i'm rocking some j-lo Ooh, which uh, one i'm joking i don't have any glow i'm, I'm like <laughs> i'm gonna tell you britney spears curious is not to be fucked with it is not that bad okay okay, okay. i got it as a white elephant stocking stuffer and worn it. <laughs> i was like this is okay <laughs> it passes So tell me more about the convention. Like what, what are you going to do there? What are your duties? Like, what are you hoping this experience is like? Well, as an alternate, I have very little duties, (laughs) which is great. Um, So this is what happens. I didn't even know. So first off, I ran for delegate. First, I had to run for state delegate, name on the ballot, everything in the primary. Luckily, I was unopposed. Obviously, they were scared of my name and backed off. Um, then you have to run for national delegate. Uh, there were like some really wonderful women in my category. Uh, I sent out a mailer of all like glamour shots of myself doing things and wrote up, you know, like this very great case. And as a Midwest diva, I hand addressed every single one and wrote like a nice little note on the corner. 250. I, my mom taught me. It's what you got to do. And I got Maya Angelou stamps for all of them. Yes, you did. I was just at the post office today and was admiring those stamps. Like, oh, if I could have kissed the side of it, I would have. <laughs> like, it was, it was outrageous. I didn't like do scented paper, but I would have. So you um, sent it to people who were voting on who the delegate from Indiana would be. Yes. Or, yeah. And in my district, it was like, um, like 250 ish. It was quite an undertaking of white wine and Bravo TV shows, but I got through it. And so now I get to go, I'm going to ride over with some buddies 
and we're in, it's in Philadelphia and we stay in like a block, a hotel that is just designated for Indiana delegates. And so we stay all with them. We will be commingled with Bernie delegates. So that'll be really exciting and interesting. Um, and uh, then like every day, apparently you wake up at 7.30 and you have to be up at 7.30 and you go down for breakfast where you get your credentials for the day. Then you can go do sightseeing or whatever. And then all of the speech, and then there's like a cocktail hour and then they bus you over to the speeches that start at like eight. But the parties don't get over until like four in the morning. So you just like every day, I'm going to be in a stupor. I'm going to take a nap, and then, but you have to be at breakfast at 7.30 or you don't get in the next day. It's like a very strict rule. It's so, an endurance test, it sounds like. But I've got the leggings. I can do it. I can just sleep in it. I'm not afraid to wear a sports bra in public or no bra. Screw it. I mean, I love the idea of you free boobing at the convention. <laughs> Hillary would want it that way. I read. I think she would. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Why not? Right. So talk to me about Hills because I am someone who is like, I was on team Hills from the beginning, but I have a lot of reservations about her. I, I'm on her team because I'm like, no one is ever perfect. I also understand the temptation to try to make your female candidates even more perfect than you would expect a male candidate to be. But, like, at the end of the day, there's just some shit about her that disappoints me. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, like, honestly, Anne, that kind of gets to my root of why I do issue politics. Because there's never a candidate that I, is just going to be perfect for me. Right, um, right. Or up to my standards. And so that's why I do the issues that I do. Because, like, I can't even handle the, like, the candidate aspect of it. But for Hillary, I just, I mean, she's just the only person I believe in the U.S. qualified to run our, our country. I mean, the girl, like, walked out of the womb and was like, I, I'm going to be president and has planned for it her whole entire life. And I just, something, like, very Capricorn about me, like, just loves that. And, yeah, there's some shit in her, in her past that, and there's some stuff that, like, you know, that people say that she's, you know, not genuine or that she is overbearing or, you know, just, like, straight up lying. And I think that any candidate's going to get that. And she gets it harder because she is a woman and, and this watching the shit that she's had to endure. I mean, God, I, and since I was in like, since I could watch TV, she's been on the news. She's been the first lady. And so just kind of watching her endurance through, through the years is something that really inspires me. And honestly, it's kind of framed a lot of the work you know, I work in the trenches and I take a lot of shit all the time and, and kind of watching her, you know, go through like the Benghazi hearings and, uh, you know, get skewered by Donald Trump. Uh, it's inspiring to me and it makes me want to work harder. And, you know, I'm not voting for her just because she's a woman, but hell yeah, she's a woman. Let's right. do this. Right. Um, and so I, like, I'm curious too, do you think that like there are people who are not, maybe traditional Democratic voters who just because Hillary has been in the news for so long and has like all the shit you talk about, like has built up and like, and just like stuck to her. Like, I feel like she has this like pig pen, like cloud that like she can't control. That's like shit from just being in the public eye for decades. Do you think that, that like there are people who are kind of like gettable voters who can like see through that and see like her now? So there's her as a candidate, and then there's her versus Donald Trump. 
And so, I mean, I think a lot of people, especially Republicans, are going to vote for her because they're scared shitless of Donald Trump. I think that's how she's going to get a lot of voters. Let's be real. But I do think that now that the her campaign is, it's no longer about taking Bernie and taking Trump down and that it is really more just her standing on her own two feet as, as a candidate. I think people are being able to see through a lot of that crap. I mean, you couldn't watch her speech after she became the nominee elect for the Democratic Party. I'm sorry, across whatever party line you are, whatever kind of hater, you watch that speech and tell me you didn't cry or didn't grab your daughter and make sure she, that she was watching. I grabbed my two lady dogs and watched <laughs> in tears. But, um, I, I mean, say what you will. I mean, the, facts, the fact is she's really damn inspiring. I don't know. I think so. Yeah. And, and so, like, tell me, are you, are you like, on the street team? <laughs> for hills <laughs> yeah <laughs> um i'm actually uh yes one of my like my besties here actually was her political director during the um indiana primary i got to be his chauffeur up to the chicago suburbs in indiana and got to go to like a behind the scenes like hang time with hillary whenever i say hang time it was 90 seconds but i felt I felt it. Um, and it was like a closed door um, speech at a, at a, like a plant. And there were very few people there. And I got, I like, I stood, I mean, I was a punk rock kid and I stood on that line holding the line, like I was going to get crushed or something, but there was no one behind me just like cheesing out. But so, yeah, I've, I've done some of that stuff. And then I'll, I go over there and phone bank. My father is a Trump supporter, and my dad is just like a like a hillbilly from Iliopolis, Illinois, farmer, uh, just like bro, gun-toting, you name it, he loves it. And he called me while I was over phone banking, and so when dad calls, I always answer. I said, he was like, what are you doing, Kate? And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm actually phone banking for Hillary. And he goes, you're kidding me. I'm like, no, dad, I, I am. And he's like, are they at least paying you? God, you got to be kidding me, Kate. And I'm like, Dad, what about? I was like, No, Dad, I, I support Hillary Clinton. He's like, Oh, how could you? I, you know, Donald Trump, he's just a straight shooter. I it just kind of like, What about like my career or my existence? Did you think I was going to be a Donald Trump supporter? And also, like, I loved a phone bank, I'd give good phone. I love that I can hear the ice in your cocktail clinking while you tell me that because I really, I just, when you were recounting that story, I was just like slowly putting my forehead against the wall. Oh, no. Uh, That someone would phone bank for free was just like shocking. Are you kidding me? Right. But so do you feel like, like the pressure to try to convert him at all? Are you just like, whatever, like. I'm 32, not anymore. Right. Well, back in uh, 2008, that tore me apart when my dad supported uh, McCain and, uh, oh God, why am I forgetting her name? She's terrible. Sarah Palin. And, and that was like during a time, honestly, where I was grappling with the fact that I had been sexually assaulted. And the big thing with Sarah Palin is that she was trying, she passed um, legislation that would make a woman pay for her own rape kit. And so that was like, that put a lot of my like heart and soul into it. And it was a very fresh time for me. And I, you know, to get into it like that with my dad, I, I didn't talk to him for like three months. Wow. Um, but then, you know, like Obama won and I spread it all over the place. 
Um, but this year, I like for Father's Day, I got him a framed picture of me with Hillary. So, <laughs> yeah, and like the biggest bottle of Grey Goose vodka you've ever seen. <laughs> oh my god, I love Hillbilly Dad likes Grey Goose vodka. <laughs> Well, of course, it's only the finer things for a Blair. Oh my God. I love it. I just like, it's so funny. Like vodka mystifies me. (laughs) (laughs) It does something very exciting to me as well. (laughs) Oh my God. Okay. Well, I don't know. What else should we talk about? We have like a few minutes left. Oh, great. We don't have to, I mean, like, what are you? I've got a, I've got a Midwest diva thing though. Please. So I'm getting married, like I said, and my mother is throwing me a shower in, um, in Iliopolis, Illinois. And she asked me what, what I wanted to be served at my shower. And like, God love my mom, but like the ultimate Midwest diva. Been wearing stretchy denim since I was a, just a wee one. Since before um, they were called jeggings. I know. <laughs> but so she is planning this event, well, this shower. And she asked me what I wanted to be served. And she was like, okay, well, we could go to this one place and we could do like burgers and chicken sandwiches. And girl, you know, there's never a vegetarian option. Um, But so that, or we could go to this other place and they'll do a horseshoe buffet. Now for you coast ladies, a horseshoe is an open, it's basically an open face sandwich. Stay with me here. There's a piece of Texas toast. And then on that Texas toast, there's any kind of meat of your choosing. Some people do a hamburger, sliced hot dog, chicken fingers, buffalo chicken fingers. So place that on top. Then you put a layer of fries, crinkle cut or regular cut, never a steak fry. And then on top of that, some kind of homemade cheese sauce that should have like two kinds of beer in it just on the top. And that is a horseshoe. So basically I grew up on it and it's delicious. And my mom asked me, you know, do you want this? And I, she's on the phone with all of her girlfriends. Well, all of her girlfriends were behind her. I don't know what they were doing. Like, you know, going for cocktails or something. And I said, mom, how dare you have the fucking audacity to ask me if I wanted liquid cheese or a dry burger. Oh, always liquid cheese. Forever. Why would you even need to ask? Also, Why would you? Does she not know me? Right now I'm filled with love and regional pride. That's all um, I have to say. Well, I mean, you just wait. I don't think we'll have so many of those at my wedding, but you know. Well, you're, but, but you'll get the horseshoe at the, uh, at the shower. Yes. Okay. Bless. One more point that I want to hit me before I leave. Um, okay. So, now I'm going just pure wedding planning. So I'm in Indiana and, um, you know, I can, I can get denied services for, for marrying a lady. And, um, so first things first, every time that I go to try on a dress or anything, I have to out myself before I even get there. So on the phone, cause you have to make appointments and shit. So I had a bunch of people from a bunch of my ladies from like the tri-state area come to Indy and we were going to drive another hour to go to this boutique that I wanted to go to. And I realized once I get gathered all of my friends that I hadn't outed myself to that boutique. That's so fucking crazy. And I had to drive the whole way and I didn't want to tell anyone because I didn't, I was kind of freaking out. And so the whole time I was driving and just had sweaty palms that I was going to get turned away. 
So that's kind of like, that's the climate here. And then the other thing that we've been kind of faced with is whenever I'm looking for vendors, like a photographer, a DJ or whatever, and we tell them how we met, which was doing LGBT politics, they, a lot of people have been like overly self-congratulatory about serving gay people, uh, like pat on the back. And so, I mean, like those people never get a job for me and I usually leave a shitty um, comment on their Yelp or whatever. But so like, that's been something that's been really awful to, to deal with. Um, oh, straight shame. I have some straight shame feelings right now. Oh no. no. I, I mean, I don't think you'd be like, I love gay people. I photographed a lesbian wedding once. Are you going to wear a suit? Some of my best friends are lesbians. I know. <laughs> oh my God. So which is the boy and which is the girl? Oh my God. Shoot me. <laughs> so the other thing I just actually, this is like one of the most romantic things that we've ever done. And you're going to love it. I really love this one guest book. I'm just going to call them out. This Kate Spade guest book. It's really badass. And I really want it. But unfortunately, it says notes to the bride and groom on top on it. Um, but the rest Rude. of the place is perfect. The, everything is perfect. But it says notes to the bride and groom. There's no, and a lot of her stuff is not. LGBT friendly or even gender neutral or anything. So this is the most romantic thing that's ever happened. I come home and I tell Megan, I was like, you know, I just had it today. And I wrote a strongly worded email to Kate Spade. (laughs) And she goes, boo, I did that two weeks ago. (laughs) How important it was to you. (laughs) So did Kate Spade repent? Because that's so fucked up. I know. Well, I, you know, those emails are going to happen. I haven't done the harassing tweets yet, but it's coming. Well, let me know if you need a signal boost on the <laughs> harassing Kate Spade's gender normative wedding registry <laughs> book. Thank you. Maybe after the rest of this wine. Yes. Oh my God, please. Oh, <laughs> uh, Katie, this has been such a joy. Okay. I, I'm so happy that you're doing what you do and like doing it where you do it. Well, thank you. I love it. I wouldn't know what to do anywhere else. I really like, I mean, like I said, I I love to piss people off and to win and to rub it in their faces. And that's what I get to do. So I'm good at it. If people who are listening want to find the causes you support or the work you do, what should they look up or where should they go on the internet? Well, just go to my Twitter. I'm at the Katie Blair T H E K A T I E B L A I R. And uh, I always have, fun um, opportunities happening. Well, like if you're in the Midwest, I always have stuff that you can do for me for free. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I, you know, also I like to talk shit. So that's fun. Uh, You're the best. Um, Thank you for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. It was wonderful. We're doing a fun show in L.A. at the Ace Downtown. Thursday, August 18th at 8 p.m. Even if you're listening to this not in Los Angeles, you should really consider a bestie vacay and come to the show. (laughs) You really should tell all of your friends and come see us. Links to tickets, etc. on callyourgirlfriend.com. You can find us many places on the internet on our website, callyourgirlfriend.com. You can download us anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast or on iTunes, where we'd love it if you left us a review. You can tweet at us at callyrgf. 
or even email us, callyrgf at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, you can look that link up yourself, or on Instagram at callyrgf. You can even leave us a short and sweet voicemail at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. This podcast is produced by Gina Delvac.